drop. You are listening to the Story Forward podcast, which is brought to you by the same people who brought you Story Forward Presents, Voices of Treefort Music Fest. This week, as we continue our summer season, summer stories, this week, the dog days of summer. Yes, summer sports narratives. And who, who are you, by the way, Mr. Uh... I'm glad you asked. Yes. I am your host, Larry Rosen, along with your co-host, Christian Wynn. Hey, that was good. That was like a little shtick we did there. there. Yeah. <laughs> so right. summer stories, sports stories. We call it the dog days of summer for a reason. It, I think it's a sports term. I, I had heard it first in baseball. It is not. I it is not. It's up. Oh, okay. Well, tell me where it comes from. The dog star, which it was an ancient Roman term. That they that they the, the dog star Cirrus, I believe, right, mm-hmm. is brightest in the summer, hmm. and so the Romans coined that term and it had the dog days of summer. summer. Yeah, so but it's obviously been adapted or <coughs> taken for, over for baseball, for baseball primarily. Yeah, baseball. The dog days of summer were usually August. You know, when the hot. season really started to drag. If you weren't in contention, yeah, um, and it was hot. The, back in you know back when we were kids, doubleheaders were starting to pile up from the early season rainouts and yep. guys were. Remember back then, you'd hear guys like he lost seventeen pounds in, in August. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, today we're going to talk about uh, sports stories, and our guest will be Boise, Idaho sports legend. media legend. We'll call him a legend, Mike Prater. Mike Prater. Let me give you a rundown on Mike's bio, and then we're going to talk a little bit about sports books. Uh, Mike is at present, he's got a couple gigs. He's a sports columnist with blueturfsports.com. And he is a, I'm pausing because I'm trying, sports radio is the right term, right? right? A sports radio host. KTIK. On KTIK. He was an editor at the Idaho Statement Statesman for 27 years. I follow him on Twitter and it is my lone source of Boise State University sports information because I don't live in Boise. But you're here often. So I am You're here. here right now. But yeah, I'm Mike Prater is uh, he's a stalwart in the Boise sports community. He's a, someone who's on the story all the time. Mm-hmm. So, And the reason why we wanted to have Mike in here was because we want to talk to someone in sports media about how the stories in sports change with the seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to talk a lot about baseball, but I know a lot of Mike's work is, is football because that's what people, people in Boise. do in Boise. They love right. the blue turf. They love the blue turf, though, as we were discussing earlier, there is a storied minor league franchise, yes. baseball franchise in Boise, the Boise Hawks, who have sent many players to the major leagues. Yes, our producer, Brett Battistain. Uh, just got it in early this time. Yeah, he did some research for us, and there are many, many he did. players. So, I had yeah. the sense that, though, for Brett, it was sort of like, um, you know, when someone who speaks a different language phonetically speaks in English? Mm-hmm. I thought that was Brett referring to baseball players. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you saying he's not a baseball fan? He did, it didn't seem that he was a baseball fan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I am a baseball fan, and yes. you are a baseball fan. And before we get to Mike... Obviously, we want, we love baseball. We want to talk about baseball, but also this is about stories and summer yeah. stories. So I want to talk a little bit about baseball stories, um, specifically baseball books. Yep. So should we go into our correspondence? Is to say that's coming down the pike too? That's a great idea. That's Carrie Seymour, a wonderful writer, professor at BSU, um, is a huge baseball and Cincinnati Reds fan. So she has one of our correspondent pieces. Okay. There. Now can we talk about books? Books. Okay. That was a nice save, by the way. Do you have a favorite baseball book? Oh, I, you know, I Actually, said, before you even answer that. Yes. You mentioned something interesting while you were frantically looking for your favorite baseball book five minutes ago. Yeah. But, and that was that the, one of the oldest books you remember was a baseball book. Yes. Unsung Heroes of the Major Leagues. I, I was a big baseball kid, played I was just okay. I was, I could play that defense. That surprises me. You must not have found the right position because you're a good I athlete. Catcher. I was a really good like defensive player but i i don't for whatever reason i mean i was a when i was younger i could hit the ball but when we got into sort of babe ruth time i kind of i switched to golf at that time but i mean i was never the most <laughs> that ball's not moving. offensive player though i hit a few home runs back in the day but Ooh. that said um yeah unsung heroes of the major leagues features some of my favorite 1970s and uh, sports maybe early 80s you know sort of uh ball players who were but just like the title says, unsung heroes, but uh, were very successful. So I do remember that really well. 
Shoeless Joe, I, I do love that. There's a great short story by a writer named Ron Carlson called Sanducci at Second. And I love that story. Sanducci at Second. I, because this guy, Sanducci, yeah. baseball player, it's fiction. So, But he goes on this streak where he kills with his foul balls, <laughs> a number of players in the stands. On purpose or? No, it's just like a fluke. Oh, and it, okay. it's, so it's about his trials and tribulations um, in the, being in that position. And it really kind of wrecks him. But it's a, it's a really great short story. So I, I do enjoy that. You had mentioned, I think, well, you, I think, read more baseball and have read more baseball well, books than I. You know, I, um, I was sort of trained to read baseball books. And when I was at the Writer's Grotto in San Francisco uh, for a few years, it was a co-working place with writers at times we'd all be sitting there at lunch and talking about or when we'd interview other writers on my previous podcast the grotto pod still available Mm -hmm. and we'd always ask you know what how'd you get your start reading what'd you read none of them got their start reading like the great pitchers series like i did that's (laughs) true you like the stats too back i like the stats you play stratomatic i do play stratomatic baseball all stats dungeons or yeah dugouts and dragons when everyone else was reading hobbit books I was reading mm-hmm. baseball books. And part of that's because my dad made me read The Boys of Summer when I was eight. And that's that book about the Brooklyn Dodgers, nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of shaped me. And I just continued to read baseball stuff, like a lot of literary types, more than any other sport. But as far as novels go, you mentioned Shoeless Joe. I kind of mm-hmm. like uh, the Iowa Baseball Confederacy by the same guy, W.P. Kinsella. And I've never read that. It's similar. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, everyone, we were just talking about The Natural, yep. which is a movie I hate. <laughs> I'm not, it's a little bit saccharine. It's a little hokey. And they end really, like, come on. The novel is, I, I, I don't want to spoil it for those of you who want to read The Natural, but the novel is very different. It's a lot darker. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? There was, uh, what was the one? The Art of Fielding, was that? The Art of Fielding is pretty fantastic as well. I do say my own particular literary history. When I was in seventh or maybe eighth grade, I did write one of my very first published poems called The Baseball Hall of Fame. <laughs> it, it was, I, I did a lot of rhyming with fame and name and same Good. and all Good. the players. But I think it was sort of inspired by one of those iconic American poems, Casey at the Bat. Oh, right, right. Which is uh, Stockton. That's where it was. Oh, That's I didn't realize that. Mudville is Stockton. That's yeah. a sad place. Yeah. Casey does not farewell no poor casey yeah but um i you know i'm actually scrolling through a list of baseball books and i've read most of them you know did you ever read ball four nope oh that was a game changer for me that was when baseball players became people oh Uh, fantastic i like the old one glory of their times which is a guy in the 60s interviewing baseball players from the turn of the century if you're a history guy that's really Mm -hmm. fantastic Uh, baseball when the grass was real so what do you think, I mean, we were talking about this before, but why is baseball such a literary sport in your mind? I think part of it is the pace, hmm. that it's slow. No, no time clock. Right. Well, maybe there is now. Isn't that, they did something with the pitch? I sure think so. I don't know. I got to be honest. I don't follow, I don't follow the big leagues anymore. <laughs> they but, tried that, I think. I'm not sure if it's still in There place. were so many things about it that seemed lyrical like that, you mm-hmm. know, and the, and the baseline, you know, a football field is a, is a rectangle and mm-hmm. a basketball court is a rectangle with dimensions, but a baseball field could theoretically go on forever. You know, the foul lines, it's arbitrary where the field ends. That's, I guess that's true. Each, you know, each stadium has its own dimensions. And the pace is, is the, the pace is, is sort of, it mimics a summer day, right? True. It's slow. It's languid, you know, it's gotten slower. Yeah. <laughs> but I think another element is all these eggheady guys could imagine themselves playing baseball where it's a little Mm. harder, you know, you can't imagine yourself, you know, blocking a LeBron layup. I like to imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) And you can't imagine yourself, you know, sacking Tom Brady really, because there's going to be five 300 pound guys stopping you from doing it. But you could imagine maybe, you know, getting a hit off of Sandy Koufax under the right circumstances. You could lay down a bunt, yeah. You could lay down a bunt, you know. There's always the stories about like, you know, you kind of think like, I could probably throw an inning, you know? <laughs> well, you could. You Before, actually played in college I for did. a minute, right? For a minute, yeah. But you think like, you know, three hitters, I could get them and they wouldn't, they could, they be so off balance because I suck so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's, it's relatable in that way. Now, all the things I'm saying may not, not be as true as they once were. 
Right. I think baseball's taking a hit, so to speak. So to speak. Yeah. Uh, so, but then, yeah, this one thing you remember you told me years ago, and I, it doesn't seem like it because you're kind of a ways away from the players and you're up the stands, but you're like, baseball players much bigger than you think. And like, well, we were like, football players smaller than you would imagine, but then baseball players much larger yeah. in real life. I noticed <laughs> that quite a lot, but yeah, you, you, they kind of look like the everyman. Yeah, they look like regular people. Yeah, Greg Maddox. You yeah. could have been Greg Maddox, right? He's a lefty, <laughs> you know, pitched around 80 miles an hour or so. Yeah, yeah he was something. But we could go on, I, at least I could go on forever, but we do uh, have some things to get to here. Mm-hmm. So we're going to cut ourselves off and welcome Mike and then welcome our contributor. Kerry Seymour. And, and we're Kerry. actually not only going to talk about baseball. Right, Mike, right. Yeah. So, so but, yes. Mike will also talk we're about other things because also I think Mike's job is probably different in the summer than it is in the winter. And I want to find out about that too. We are very fortunate today because we have a Boise, Idaho sports scene fixture. We've got Mike Prater with us. I gave about two thirds of your background in the intro, but why don't you fill us in on what you're doing with the Idaho press? And I also didn't mention the Sports talk show you do, you've done for 20 years? Yeah, I've been with KTIK. I did my first hit with KTIK, believe it or not, in 1994 when Boise State Mm -hmm. went to the national championship football game in Huntington, West Virginia. And uh, then I started doing regular hits in 1997 um, as a a contributor. And then as a co-host, I joined the station in 1999. So 22 years, that's a lot of hot air. (laughs) <laughs> and you just you just mixed up the lineup, right? You got a different co-host. I got a new co-host, Johnny Mallory, Johnny Ballgame, and uh, we've uh, we completely. I had the same partner and uh, Jeff Case for twenty years. Mad respect to that guy, but uh, mm-hmm. he had to move on. And uh, uh, we took an opportunity to get younger and and more fun and with a lot more energy. And uh, we hired Johnny Ballgame, and uh, we've been going since Labor Day weekend of last year. And Cool. We're having fun. We're hitting this. We, 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 I've always wanted to be a rock star, and, and I wish we were talking more rock music today. But uh, <laughs> we can, I always want, we can, we can slide, slide that in. in. Yeah. yeah, we can always slide that, that in. I, I've always wanted to stand up and 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 be a rock star, and it didn't happen because I'm terrible at music. I can barely spell music. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I go to like 30 concerts a year to try to pretend. But in, in this particular case, we launched a summer tour this week, and we're doing a 10-week summer tour here in Boise calling it the year of the fan and just going out and meeting fans every Wednesday oh, for 10 consecutive weeks. The year of the fan is the most important thing I've thought of and have been doing in a long time. It's been a horrible year without fans. Uh-huh. Yeah. We need fans. We need fans. We need fans for everything. Um, I just got my Avid brother tickets canceled today. Oh, they canceled? They oh, canceled shoot. today. Oh, they... I, I bought my first concert ticket in a year and a half, two weeks ago, and they canceled today. So uh, please, please, the year of the fan come back. But uh, yeah, it's been great. It's a high energy uh, KTIK Idaho Sports Talk 93.1 FM, KTIK app, and uh, three to six every single day. And uh, we just get stupid, get fun, have some great times, and do a lot of Boise State stuff. Absolutely. And then and then uh, columnist with the Idaho Press, sports right. columnist with the Idaho Press. I spent 28 and a half years as the beat writer, columnist, and sports editor at the Idaho Statesman, uh, my beloved institution and the reason why I was here. I grew up wanting to work for the Idaho Statesman, grew up in Twin Falls. Um, it got a little squirrely there at the end, and it was time to move on. And Mm-hmm. I took a couple of years hiatus from writing. In the last uh, two years, I've been the sports columnist for the Idaho Press, covering mostly Boise State stuff. So uh, I get to scream a lot and do a microphone, and I get to write every now and then. I get the best of both worlds. So you're living my dream. I'm living a dream. I, I got a dream job. Well, it's yeah, not even it's... a job. I'm just kind of goofing around, and every two weeks, something shows up in my paycheck, That's and it's just nice. kind of weird. But so I wanted to have you here because I figured, you know, we want to talk about stories, and you know probably more about the stories of sports than most people. But what's unique, I think, about what you do is that this size market, it's got to be very different working sports here than it would be in New York or someplace with several professional teams. How do you think, I mean, how do you think that translates to your job uh, that most of what you cover is college sports? It's got to, it's got to impact just the, the, the cycle of the year. Yeah. Because yeah. they in the summer, it's summer football and that's it, right? We've been doing the year-round sports talk show in Boise, Idaho for 20 years, and I'm not even sure what the hell we talk about in the summer. So do you, you're, you're right. It, it, it is tough. And Boise State football is our professional team, and it mm-hmm. is different. But I, I've lived in the Washington, D.C. market. I've lived and worked in the San Francisco market, where I know <clears> you know very familiar with. Um, I, I worked and lived in the in the Salt Lake market, where they've got professional basketball and four major college teams. 
I don't, I'm not very popular when I say this, but I've said it for 20 years and I'm still waiting for somebody to prove me wrong. Here's the difference. Here's what Boise, Idaho is. Boise, Idaho is not a sports town. And if I'd have known that 25 years ago when I moved here 30 years ago, I'm not sure I would have come. I love Boise, Idaho. I don't ever want to leave now. And I've got the greatest job in the world. But Boise is not a sports town, period. Boise I locals, think. is that? Yeah, well, I was going to say, I moved here a little over 20 years ago from Seattle. And that, yeah, for sure was my impression or something along those lines was my impression as well. And, uh, because you have, you don't have any professional team. We don't have any professional teams outside of, like you said, Boise state, but, um, yeah. Has that changed in the 20 years? Must have. Have people with, I mean, the advent of the internet and just sort of. And Boise state becoming a football power. Yeah, definitely. It's changed. Absolutely. It's changed. And Boise state is obviously a sport. Boise state football here is, is a big, big deal, but I've always described it as an event. So when I say mm. Boise's not a sports town, I'm including Boise State football. Boise State football is the biggest event we have in this town. And when you go, there's families and friends and kids, and it's an event. And maybe they're not there for football. Maybe they leave at halftime to go in the parking lot, hang with their friends. A lot of them show up in the parking lot and never even go inside. The attendance here yeah. has grown. When I moved here 30 years ago, the attendance or the uh, uh, population in this town was what, two, three, four hundred thousand people at the most, and it's doubled. We're up to the market is now yeah. over a quarter metro, of a million. Metro, the metro market. market's pushing eight hundred thousand. And, and Boise State's attendance is still the same as it was 30 years ago. But I <laughs> forgive me for being this ignorant, but was Boise State a D1 program 30 years ago? Boise State football made well, yeah. Div, division one is there's 350 schools in division uh-huh. one. It's the same schools that like play in the NCAA basketball tournament. Right. 350 mm-hmm. schools. Those 351, those 350 division one schools are divided into two different categories, big and small. I mean, mm-hmm. they all have official lingo, but it's essentially big and small. Boise State was small until 1996. 1997, they devoid, they they started playing in the same division as the Alabamas of the world. What was their conference before that? Who'd they play? They were they were a big sky power, big okay. sky conference. Uh, Idaho, Idaho State, Weber State, those kinds of things. Uh, Boise State won a national championship in 1980 in Sacramento against mm. Western or Eastern Kentucky. Uh, Idaho State won the national championship the next year. So they were kind of the, they were the North Dakota State of their time. Yes, there that's a great go. way to put it. Yeah, yeah. see, you're yeah. a smart sports guy. <laughs> um, and I'm curious. So we're talking about summer stories and sports in the summertime. We're going to talk about some baseball. But like, since we're talking Boise State football, what what do they do in the summer? What's your job like, and what kind of does the program do? Um, you said you had a press conference there, first time in many years, or maybe ever in the summer. Yeah, as a new coach and all that. But go go for it. Yeah, well, football in general, as you guys may or may not know, has become a year-round sport. Mm-hmm. Period. You know, it's it's. In the NFL, they talk in it's it's 365 now, and Boise State football has become that over the last couple of years. Um, what happens every summer is uh, it's called PRPs, player run practices. Coaches can't be involved. The strength guy can be involved. They can do some conditioning, um, but it's just a lot of practice. It's a lot of guy time. It's a lot of bonding on the blue. But I will say this: the timing of this podcast is uh, uh, interesting, and in, in the fact that this summer. Uh, Andy Avalos, the new head football coach who's creating a lot of attention here, a lot of buzz here, is um, he's having summer press conferences. We're going down to campus now face-to-face without masks and shaking hands, actually. Mm. It's kind of nice. It's kind of fun. It's kind of cool after a year and a half of that Zoom nonsense. (laughs) Uh, But face-to-face press conferences in the summer. New athletic director wants to promote the brand. Andy Avalos wants to promote the brand. And so they're doing weekly press conferences throughout the summer as they go through summer conditioning. Now, when fall camp opens in, uh, for real uh, in middle of August and the football season begins on Labor Day weekend, you know, it'll it'll really ramp up. But uh, that's where the event stuff comes into play. Well, and to, to build off of that, I was going to ask for that, but it kind of makes sense now. What sort of relationships do you have, not just with the coaches and the administrators, but the players themselves? I know it. I used to cover prep sports. Mm-hmm. And the first piece of advice I got from an old timer was don't talk to the players. I got nothing to say. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I, I don't want to answer like you do, but I feel like you do. And, uh, um, the great Bobby Dye, one of the great Boise state basketball coaches once said the crusty old man, God bless him said, uh, nobody ever paid, everybody pays to watch them play, but nobody's ever going to pay to listen to him talk. And but but I feel like that's where their stories come in. That's though. where their stories mm-hmm. come in. Yeah. Absolutely. So do you get to do you get to know players? Do you get a chance to know the players ever? 
after four years of 10 minute conversations, one at a time, maybe. Yeah. yeah it's, but you it's really difficult. It's different than the pros then. You don't get that kind of access. Might even be, uh, the pros are different. I covered major league baseball in, in the Bay area. And I, I, as I was trying to make career decisions, I said, I don't ever want to cover pros again because the first person you have to call is their agent. Mm. Right. Now, if you can get through the agent, if you can get through the coach, if you can get through the PR guy and the guy has 20 minutes and he wants to sit down and tell his story, there's great stories to be told. And that's the best part of what you do and what you do and what I do is going out and finding those stories. There's so many stories. Stories are a beautiful thing. And it's just, you can't find them at Boise State. I mean, I covered Kellen Moore for four years. I don't know if I know that guy that well or not. Really? Hmm. Do you guys ever do like long form stuff in, in your, well, either on your podcast or do you, um, as Radio a journalist, show. are you able to dive deep? It doesn't sound like you have done a lot of that with Boise State, but are there rare exceptions to that where you do get to know the kids? Yeah. Um, high school level, you mm. know, you do get to know them a little bit. You know, you want to dive into their world a little bit. And high school sports obviously is a, is a big deal around here in terms of just the mass amount of numbers of parents and kids and everybody involved. Um, that's the one thing that, uh, that I... You know, when I made the transition to be a beat writer where you tell long storm feature stories or you sit down with somebody for a couple of days, I just wanted to be a columnist. And you can be a columnist and just kind of sit behind the scenes and, and bang out your stupid blowhard opinion in 20 <laughs> minutes and, and just kind of go from there. I miss storytelling. <laughs> and I think storytelling today is a lost art that I can't find on internet.com sports websites anymore. Yeah. I mean, there is a problem that our our attention spans have shrunk to the yes. point of where we're just, ah, I'm done with that. Yes. But in, in one way, I would think you might, you know, doing professional sports might be harder because the players are empowered enough to not want you around. Yeah. Maybe the college guys are too. But, you know, you hear so much, you know, you look at Kyrie Irving this year. It's, I'm just not going to talk. Yeah. Really, that's kind of mm -hmm. part of your job, but okay. Yeah. And Naomi Osaka, the, the French Open tennis player, the, the international tennis star who pulled out of the French Open because she didn't want to talk and, and she cites mental health. Uh, who's going to dispute that? How are right. you going to dispute that? You have to, as a human being, you have to respect that. But uh, to sit down and spend an hour with her and tell stories would be fantastic, but we're not going to get those chances. You don't get those chances at Boise State, no. Do you get into that with like the coaches, like this new Ablos coach or... Um... Brian Harson, or when Coach Pete was here, were you able to like, ever really dive kind of deep into who they are and what, you know, because they're a little guarded, it seems like yeah. at times in press conferences. Yeah. But, you know, after covering them for a few years, it seems like you might have at least had a couple that kind of broke through. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, over time, I, I got to spend 30 to 45 minutes at a time, a couple of different times with Chris Peterson. I mean, you know, he, he was, he, he shut down his program from the players and didn't let them talk to the media. But every now and then he, he talked and, it was a, it was a weird situation. And I love talking to that dude about life and, mm -hmm. you know, liberty and the pursuit of happiness, which is kind of what he's going after right now. Um, Brian Harson, big fan. I've covered him for 25 years when he was in high school. I was in the Rose Bowl stadium when he threw his only, not the game, the Rose Bowl stadium when they were playing UCLA in, in a regular season game where he threw his only college touchdown at Boise State. I actually witnessed that. But I'm here to tell you, I probably spent no more than five minutes with that guy. Hmm. And I'm just getting to know Andy Avalos. So uh, um, it is definitely different. I don't expect a lot of free time with those guys anymore. Well, mm. and I guess in a way, especially as a columnist, that's not really part of your job. No. And it, it would almost might be detrimental to your job. I, I have, uh, and this works well with my personality, but uh, uh, the lack of relationships helps yeah. in my job sometimes. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I can I can absolutely see that because you got you to gotta call balls and strikes. Yeah. And if you like the guy, you might not be as likely to call balls and strikes. It's tough. Speaking of balls and strikes, you Good want segue, to uh, right? oh, segue into yeah. some baseball Let's action? Let's talk a little for, baseball for here. Summertime. I'm writing that one down. That's a good transition. <laughs> now, I personally love the idea of living in a town where there's a single A team. Yeah. That to me seems, and we talked about this off mic, better than going to a Giants game yeah. or an A's game. Less expensive, for sure. Way less expensive. <laughs> and the players are hungry. Yes, their pants are still too big. Yeah. <laughs> And yes, the pitchers are still throwing 75 pitches and then leaving. Um, how is it, two questions, how is it covering that team, I guess peripherally, and how much does that team rate on the local radar? In terms of wins and losses, nowhere. In terms of a fun place to go. High, high, high. Yeah. And, and it's different. It evolves every year. I mean, the 90s were great. They had 
you know, a new affiliation with the Angels. They had a coach that stuck around for 10 years. They won championships. They had a brand new stadium down there and they were getting four and 5,000 people in there. I, I remember, you know, um, you know, they, after the games, they would bring in midget wrestling, Morgana, the kissing oh, bad net once jump. She once ju- bungee jumped out of a helicopter. That, that doesn't sound like something after 1976 you'd want to see. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, she's really old. She, well, she, and she was even in the nineties and, yeah. uh, I, it's, it's a visual that I have not been able to burn out of my head. <laughs> and, and I still remember her streaking across, not streaking, but, but I mean, she had clothes on. Well, yeah, she had clothes uh, and up, into the, up into the press box where she gave me a kiss, and uh, I, I remember that. I got kissed by Morgana. You know what? I can tell Danny. people I know someone now who got yeah. kissed by Morgana. I got kissed after she bungee jumped out of an airplane or a helicopter. That stuff doesn't happen anymore. No. Uh, but you know what? People still go to the ballpark. It might be a 1,000 or two less than it was back in the heyday. But people still go to the ballpark in Boise, Seattle for the exact same reason they did 30 years ago. Not to find out who wins or loses. Not to find out who they're playing. They don't care. Not to find out who's on the roster. Maybe 10 years from now, if one of them that's, ends up in the major leagues, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I'm there with my family. I want to lose my five-year-old for a couple of innings. I want to sneak mm-hmm. off and drink a beer and eat a crappy hot dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to throw peanuts on the guy <clears throat> in front of me. I mean. And I do want to watch that thing where the kid puts his head on the bat and spins around. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's a good one. They do some of that kind of stuff. So what are the latest antics that they, they pull? I guess they didn't play last year, too. So they're back to it this year, yeah. which is cool, but. I feel like that bat spinning, falling yeah, we, down, trying to run to first base. Kind of <clears throat> the town I moved to has a summer league wood bat team, mm, okay. and I'm looking forward to that. That's good stuff. Though. Yeah, I mean, those that are is. college age kids, right? Yeah, college yeah. kids. Yeah, and we were talking to a friend of ours also on the baseball front whose brothers play for the Spuds. That's a new team in Boise or in Idaho. Sounds like right? it's a, is it an independent league team? It's I unaffiliated. Think, and they're both in undergrad. Oh, so maybe it's a it's summer a, league. Yeah, yeah it's okay. a, I, I've heard of them. I believe it's a summer wooden bat league yeah. type of thing. The yeah. old uh, the old Alaska Gold Panners type of level. That okay, was, nice. that was the legendary summer league that in Cape Cod. But that's 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 grassroots baseball, and that's when baseball's at its best, if you ask right. me. Right, yeah. and I feel like, and that's why we were talking before in the intro how of all the sports, baseball is the one that seems to capture the fancy more of like egg-headed liter- literary types like us. And why do you think that is? And maybe you just said it, you know, because th- that's. Grassroots space. That's Americana. That's Absolutely. a great time out at the park. When I go to a football game, I have to leave my house three hours before. I have to drive through park, even Boise or Seattle Seahawks, wherever. I mean, um, you, you pay your monster ticket with with three digits in it, and uh, and then you have to cram yourself into a stadium, and and you're dealing with high professional uh, paid professionals that may or may not care what I. I Baseball to me, it seems like it's the kind, especially at this level. I mean, it's it's three minutes from my house. I I'd, I'd, I'd walk, but I have to walk up a hill coming home at night, and I, I don't want to walk up the hill because I can't do it. But uh, I, I I I haven't been to a game. We didn't go to a game last year. This summer, minor league baseball has got to be a minor has got to be a major priority. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing at, at that level, and I would. Yeah, I miss it. And I don't know if there is any equivalent of football. I mean, you can go to a high school game, but that's not quite like going to a minor league baseball game. Three hours outside in the sun. Yeah. Sun blurring on you. Or the rain. Or the rain. (laughs) Um, I I just think it's a beautiful thing. I've never had a bad experience at the ballpark. Well, I take that back. I have had a bad experience at the ballpark. A couple years ago, I took my dog to a baseball game on dog night. Okay. Which also happened to be fireworks night. Oh, oh no. That's bad no. planning. And disco demolition night. Bad planning. <laughs> oh, Don't man. take your dog. <laughs> to fireworks Don't night. Don't schedule dog day on the same <laughs> oh, down man. as fireworks night. So poor that, dog? That was a poor, well, my fat lazy pug had no idea what he was doing, but there was a few <laughs> other dogs that had some issues. Yeah. That, that that's the kind of fun stuff you see out of minor league baseball games. It's Maybe true. they did that on purpose. Yes. <laughs> that kind of screw up is the kind of love thing you'll it. see. Yeah, that's true. I love that. You do see a lot more errors as well. It makes it kind of a little bit more kind of fun to watch in a certain way. You're like, oh, I'm not like... sure if that guy's gonna be able to make that throw. But I also feel like you you see guys who are still interested in learning how to play the game. Yep. Which yeah. you don't see at the major league level. Absolutely. You see hungry <clears throat> guys wanting to get there. Yeah. Maybe but, less yeah. so than it used to be. Like I remember when I, I coached in the 90s, and already there were guys talking about, oh, he just wants to get on Sports Center. Yeah. 
Hmm. And now I think it's even, you know, there's so many more opportunities to be famous for 15 minutes. Well, I mean, look at the baseball the way it is played now. It's either a strikeout or a home run because these guys aren't, they don't care about a single because a single's not going to get you on Sports Center. Right, right. But the home run will. Chicks dig the long ball. Yeah. And real that quick, what's this, what is the uh, status of the Boise Hawks right now as far as what, who they, are they affiliated with anybody? For the first time in 31 years, they are not affiliated with anybody. Wow. So. Uh, they had a run with the Angels. They had a run with the Cubs, and they had a run with the Colorado Rockies. Yep. Um, Major League Baseball reorganized. They spent the pandemic year reorganizing and restructuring minor league baseball, and Boise didn't make the cut. So they are an unaffiliated team. Uh, the Pioneer League, uh, which is a unaf- has a membership agreement with Major League Baseball, whatever that means. But there's no affiliation. So the Boise Hawks right now are not affiliated affiliated with anybody. It's literally low level independent rookie baseball at its purest form. So, so it's it's all rookie ba- it's not last ditch guys. It might be below last ditch guys. <laughs> it might be below la- that last ditch guys. It's good, but you know what? If I was sitting here today as a man in his 50s and I got to tell you guys, you know, I played one year of rookie league ball when I was oh. 22. I'd live on that forever. Heck yeah. <laughs> These guys are making 400 bucks a month. That's they, crazy. They're spending every six days. They're going to play. They're going to play like eighty games in ninety-six days, and every six days they got to get on a twelve-hour bus ride, Ooh. play six games, and then come home on the same bus ride. Where do they live? Do they live with people? Boise Hawks used to have mm. a home family host program. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they still do. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they still do. I would imagine they're. Fi- I, I don't know the answer to that. Can you imagine the head? Just the head trip it must be. Like I had a, a friend whose nephew played junior league hockey in Kelowna. And he was 17 years old and he lived with a family and he got like, they paid him like 80 bucks a month or something. But every time he hit the ice, he was famous in this town. Nice. Mm-hmm. You know, and he got, he went on sports talk radio and there were posters of him all over the place. <laughs> and that would mess with your head if you're 17 years old. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, once he turns 21, he'll never buy a beer. Nope. <laughs> That's true. Well, there's a little side pivot again here real quick. I was, since you've been in, you know, Boise covering sports for 20 plus years, I'd be curious to know a couple of your favorite, like, sports stories that you've come across, not necessarily just in summertime, but, I mean, some of your favorite, obviously, we had the Fiesta Bowl, that's a thing, Um, but also just being an insider, knowing this stuff, I mean, maybe just a couple of your favorites from over the years. Hmm. I mean, yeah, the Fiesta Bowl was pretty crazy. I mean, even in our world, uh, we didn't sleep for two days. We, We worked all night long, put out a Bulldog edition that afternoon. Cranked out $175,000 worth of posters that we sold in the immediate time after that. I mean, the Fiesta Bowl was, you know, that's that's the, that was just uh, the top of the mountain around here for a lot of different people. Stories, stories, stories. Um, let me ask you a specific one. Yeah, let go. How, how was it here after the Kaepernick game? The first one? Yeah. Yeah. Or the, the one, the, the last one? When they were undefeated? The first yes, one when they were undefeated. The first one was played here when he was a freshman, and Boise State won 69 to 67 in four overtimes. <laughs> that was the wild, one that yeah. he won. And then the one that he won as a senior when Boise missed the kick. Boise Two. was favored to win in that game. <laughs> uh, Boise, if uh, they make the field goal, they probably go to the Rose Bowl. Think about that. Boise State in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. So, what was the citywide or region wide hangover from that? Do you have to bring that up? Sorry. Yeah. Still, it, it, it it's just, it's, it's a compelling story. Well, I was working at a place called the Falcon Tavern at the time, um, just bartending and serving. And I, it's a, it was a kind of a sports bar. You might've been there. I think I, I think I may have uh, spent some money with you at the end. <laughs> but we um, had that game on that night and just, and you could speak to your own experiences too, but we, everybody was completely just silent afterwards. People didn't drink anymore, went home. <laughs> and it affected our business for a couple months, it seemed like. Like people were just like to too bummed out to like, you know, face well, the TVs again. So. Yeah. And I'm working towards something here. Like I remember I'm a 49ers fan. And the two, was it 2014 NFC title game when uh the last Kaepernick threw into the corner. Yep. I was down visiting a friend who wasn't involved at all. So we're just watching the game and I'm trying to keep it together. And I realized driving home the next day, it took like a week. 
I was so mad for yeah. a week. Yeah. And so the reason why I ask is why do you think you, you spent more than 30 years in sports journalism? You don't seem to have too much of a cynical edge towards sports after that time. Um, why do you think we find stories in sports so compelling? The drama. The, the drama. I mean, just l whether you're an NHL hockey fan in the Stanley Cup playoffs, every other game is overtime, the NBA playoffs, uh, the drama in the NFL. We, we love drama. I mean, I mean, God, I, you brought up Colin Kaepernick. I, I love the Colin Kaepernick story. There is still not a week that goes by where Colin Kaepernick's name does not come up on That's our true. show in this business. And, and, and he is still so polarizing. I'm not even sure he's polarizing. He's just flat out hated in this town. Oh, flat really? out hated in this town because of what he did on the football field, what the fans did after that game. He's associated with that because it was despicable fan behavior. And then because of what he became as a human being after football. That doesn't really sit well here in Boise, Idaho. So I'll let uh, another political show deal with the the pros and cons of, of that. But Colin Kaepernick, I love polarizing people. Uh, I love dramatics. Um, I love million-dollar whiny babies. And I love <laughs> college baseball players who want to play summer league wooden bat for free and, and maybe get a free hamburger that's left over in the concession <laughs> stands after the game. <clears throat> All those guys, and there's so many different aspects and so many different scopes of sports and drama that we can do. I put out a newspaper 365 days a year for 30 years. You never run out of story ideas. No, you, you never, never do. run out of story ideas. Some are better than others. We do a talk show every day now. You never run out of story ideas. It's a beautiful thing. I love sports. I love what it presents. I love the drama. I love jerks. I love idiots. I love twidiots. <laughs> Name them all. I, I need them all in my life. Thank God they're all there. <laughs> oh, man. We should be running down, right? We're, we're getting a little we're close on time. Close, okay, yeah. good. But I, I don't have to leave yet. I can still... No, I think we okay. should talk, maybe we should talk about the, the literary angle you were talking about earlier. The um, literary angle. Mr. Oh, Crater's, yeah. Mr. Uh, top choices of... Uh, Do you have a favorite sports book? Or two. Ooh. Or two. This is probably the, where I have to tell you that uh, I'm not a huge, huge book novel reader. Yeah. Um, having been in the newspaper profession for 30 years, um, I didn't I didn't work 12 hours a day reading and then come home and read more. <clears throat> Let me ask you this then. Do you have a favorite sports story? Yes. Um, and you're putting me on the spot now. The calm, Jimmy Breslin, New York Post columnist, 1963. He went and covered, he was told to go cover JFK's funeral. Mm-hmm. Ten th we all see the videos. We know the videos, the kids, the black and white, the parade, all, not a parade, all that stuff. Thousands of people. Every single journalist was tagging everything we watched on TV. Jimmy Breslin went and interviewed the gravedigger while that mm. was going on. All those black and white clips we see on TV, there was a gravedigger in Arlington National Cemetery digging a hole with a shovel. And Jimmy Breslin of the New York Post went over and talked to him. And to this day, I've always told when I was the sports editor or my mantra in college was always, don't look for the obvious. Go off and find something different. I don't care if it's a tiny little thing and you just exploit the crap out of it because that's what we do as journalists. We mm -hmm. exploit the crap out of things, right? Find something <clears throat> different than 9,000 other people. And that's especially true today when there's so many journalists, quote unquote, bloggers, basement this, basement that, just Find that unique hook. Go out. Don't interview the guy that made the winning shot because everybody else is going to do it. Maybe go interview the assistant basketball coach who spent an hour with him earlier in the day to help him refine a certain part of his game. And it mm -hmm. worked that night. That's the kind of stuff that I love. So I always refer to the Jimmy Breslin. But I always grew up, you know, growing up in Idaho, um, I always loved the LA Times. I always loved the Washington Post. I'm still a subscribed reader. I still wake up every morning with a newspaper in my driveway. I read newspapers relentlessly, the printed version. I've, I've switched. I'm not the crusty old man who hasn't switched to the internet. I love the internet and I'm glued to the internet way too much, <laughs> but I still love the paper. When you were growing up, did you have any columnists you really liked? Jim Murray. Jim Murray. Jim Murray. I remember in 1987, mm -hmm. I covered my first Rose Bowl and the first place I went was the press box to find Jim Murray. Did I it? I love Jim Murray. Now, they say you should never meet your heroes. I know. How'd it work? He was fine. Good. But I did go interview Pete Rose once. Oof. 
I grew up a I grew up a big Red Machine fan. When you're growing up in Twin Falls in the seventies, you, you watch whoever's good on TV, uh-huh. and the Reds were good on TV. And I was a catcher, and I became a Johnny Bench fan. The first ever game that I covered Major League Baseball was the San Francisco Giants and the Cincinnati Reds and Pete Rose. And I went to the game on purpose because Pete Rose, I was going to go meet my idol, was the manager of the Reds. Went in the locker room. It was no bigger than, his office was no bigger than this office. What, eight by eight foot concrete cinder block office. 20 smelly journalists stuffed in there. Pete Rose just got his ass kicked. Can I swear? He got his butt yeah, kicked. Go for it, yeah. Got his ass kicked <laughs> by the San Francisco Giants. And I still have this on tape. In a four-minute interview, he dropped the F-bomb 33 <laughs> times. <laughs> That's the... 33 times. And my previous hero-worshipping story was Metalark Lemon in my high school locker. The Globetrotters were there doing a fundraiser or playing basketball. And I walked into my locker to interview him once when he was there. And Metalark Lemon was sitting in front of my locker Smoking a cigarette. That's what? awesome. <laughs> that crushed me, dude. I would, I'm with Mike on this one. Metal that would have crushed Lemon me. And Pete Rose just crushed me. I remember huh. reading in Sport Magazine about Carl Yastrzemski, who was my hero at the time, and that he was smoking. I was like, what? Oh, yeah. Well, smoking man, like my dad? Lupinella. Yeah. Yes. Lupinella. Yeah. Well, he Lupinella. bumped a couple cigarettes off me one night. He had him back in Seattle. So he would do it at the dugout. But Jim Murray was awesome. Yeah. I love Jim Murray. Mm. And God bless his soul. I'm trying. You said Washington Post. I was hoping you were going to say Shirley Povich, but I think that's a little way. I have, I have had Shirley Povich on our radio show. Oh, um, I've tried to track down. I can't remember why. There was some reason why, but um, uh, Shirley Povich, uh, Jim Murray, Bill Plasky. Today, I'm a big, big fan of Bill Plasky. Um, I'll just uh, I still try to read a couple books a year, and they're not sports books. I don't like sports mm. books, and I don't like sports movies. Wow, I, interesting. Um, I know that's kind of kind of weird. Um, but, uh, with Memorial Day weekend, um, recently I just, I, I, I read the Laura Hildebrand story about Louis Zamperini, mm. Unbroken. Beautiful story about a USC guy went off into the war and had the most amazing will and the most amazing spirit. Um, I, I love the way Laura Hildebrand tells stories. They're kind of cheesy, kind of human exploitation of, of these great storylines and passion and drama. Uh, but, uh, Unbroken, Louis Zamperini, um, and, uh, go check that out. Go check that out. Okay. That's good advice. That is good kind of wrapping things up. And a very different one than, you know, we we were waxing philosophic about everything from the glory of their times, the ball forward, a Steelers Joe, and all that standard sports book fare. The uh, Mitch album story about his dad, Tuesdays with Maury. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. I don't forget that he was a sports writer. Well, he kind of still is. Is he still? Well, I mean, he's not like he used to be, but Mitch Album, Tuesdays with Maury, Mm -hmm. might be the only quote-unquote sports book that really made me cry. (laughs) That was a brutal one. I mean, I got my dad that book, and I'm not sure my dad ever read a book, but uh, he read that one, and and that was a beautiful one. I got got Malcolm Gladwell's Outlier on my desk, or on my desk right now. I read it 30 years ago. I need to go back and reread it. I pulled it out. I'm going to make it happen, then I'll figure that out as well. <laughs> Does that count as a sports book? No. Nah. no. Well, Gladwell's a big basketball guy. Oh, really? Yeah. And a big runner, Is too. Is he in the Bay Area? No, he's a New York guy. I think he's an East Coast okay. guy. Yeah. I just know, because I'm a, I'm a Bill Simmons guy, and he's always talking to Sim, Bill Simmons. I was an old Ray Ratto guy. I like Ratto. He's a good, he's I a crusty to, old dude. He, and that was always his shtick. Yeah, I you love know? that guy. He's still, he does a lot of radio now. And 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 I I hate saying it now, and I'm not sure anybody knows. And now I'm rambling. But to Ralph Barbieri, another well, rest his rest in peace. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hated him. I hated him. I went yeah. back and forth. I hated him. He was good with Tolbert. Who was he I don't. Remember he did a him. show with Tom Tolbert on oh, KNBR in San Francisco, yeah. and he was kind of he was the kind of sports talk guy whose premise was, "I'm so much smarter than you huh. that I'm going to deliver some information to you, and you're going to slap it up." Yeah, the and, columnist at the old Green Page. Uh, old sports guy, old old. Art sports. Spander. It's Art Spander. Yeah, yeah, he was a good one. He was good. Yeah. They've got they've had some good guys in San Francisco, and they should. I mean, it's a good sports town as much as it doesn't want to be. I love that town as a sports town. I, it's different. <clears throat> that's why I love it. It's not it's not New York City or Pittsburgh or right. Philadelphia. It's a sports town that's different. But you know now, you know the Raiders are gone. The Niners play in Santa Clara. Um, the Warriors, who I love, it's not a ticket you can get if you're no. just a person. No. And the Giants, 
There, he I, said you're I'm not a Giants, on the Giants fan. I was never a Giants fan. I was always a Mariners fan. Go see the A's. I've got, yeah, we'd go see the A's, but that's kind of depressing because there's 10,000 people in the stadium. Yeah. It's and a you know, weird stadium too. And just yeah, it's a bummer it. of a stadium. Yeah. And you know, whoever you see is going to be gone in a couple of years. Is Mike's phone's barking? That's that's my alarm to feed the dog. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, I think, I, I think your timing's good because I think we should probably wrap it up. Yeah, I think we're about uh, done with you for now, Mr. Prater. But one yeah. thing that we can just give a quick shout out, it's going to be a story for event down the road. We're going to have you, we were supposed to have you last year on the yep. sports and literature panel. <clears throat> and we'd love to, we're going to hopefully reboot that in September. But, and then March. You can get your your music fix. Oh yeah, I know you're you're kind of growing out a little uh, rock star hair. <laughs> it's it's more like pandemic hair and and, uh-huh. and being lazy. I, but uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me, and uh, I wish I had more eloquent stories. But uh, I think you had plenty. I, yeah. I, I liked uh, I like uh, I like this vibe, and I like what you guys do. Uh, I, I love podcasts. I love this. I usually I scream and yell. So to sit down and have a conversation with somebody <laughs> is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I love Tree Ford. I miss it. I cannot wait. It's it's my favorite non sports thing in this city. And uh, I just uh, let's let's get back to normal and get after it, guys. Let's get some real sports there. and some real music. Yeah. Let's do it. Truer words were never spoken. And I'm now that I've met you and hung out with you, I'm really looking forward to that sports panel. It's going to be great. We're going to do that in Absolutely. spring. Let's make that happen. Yeah, yeah like we it. might do a version of something in the fall, and then definitely bring it back full board in the spring. So yeah, there's a lot of different angles we could take too. Yeah. So um, all right. And maybe we'll use your connections. Maybe you can bring in, give us some uh, Mike Prater connections from uh, the national scene. I can make it happen, guys. I That'd can make be great. it happen. Just hook me up with some kind of rock star that I can hang out with. We will do our best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. All well, right. I think that's about all we have for now. Yep. All right. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, then. Well, we want to thank Mike Prater for coming on the podcast. Great interview, Mike. And thanks so much for your time and your smart words and now we have a special guest is our correspondent carrie seymour talking baseball so dog days of summer roll on enjoy i'm pretty sure that anyone who knows me well will tell you that i'm the least athletic person they've ever met it's true but that doesn't stop me from being a huge sports enthusiast I've traveled the country and parts of the world to watch professionals hit a tennis ball, race a horse, swim in open water, dive from a cliff, ride a bull, catch a football, ski down a hill. You get the point. And that does not include the myriad of sports that my kids, friends, and family members have played and for which I have been a loyal spectator. But baseball is my true love, and I feel like it gets a short shrift these days. It is too slow, too boring, too traditional, too something not jazzy enough. But let me tell you, there is value in the known, in the 175 years of customs and rules and idiosyncrasies. I find there to be something especially profound about the meditative nature of a sport that feels a lot like chess on a life-size field of play. I have friends for whom the history of the game and its players is second knowledge. Someone will say something like, remember that playing game five of the Mets Red Sox series in 86? And someone else will actually have a vivid memory of it. I don't remember things like that. In fact, I can't even remember game five of last year's World Series, though I watched it and almost every other game of every other World Series since I was a kid. What I do remember, though, is the feeling of watching games, of the lazy afternoon sitting in the stands at Camden Yards looking over the Baltimore skyline, or walking across a bridge from Kentucky to Great American Ballpark, the stadium filling with laughter and noise. I have fond memories of watching games with my mom at home as a kid, the smell of dinner cooking in the background, and I'm a bit embarrassed to report that as a teenager I would slather myself in Hawaiian tropic suntan oil, put on my best new sundress, and go watch a boy I liked play American Legion ball. It's not that I don't also follow the game closely. I try to watch every play and I often work at scoring the game, a complicated endeavor in itself. But the best part of watching baseball is that shift into a familiar, slow-moving lull, where one can let go of the tumble of abstract worries and irritations buzzing around in the mind and concentrate instead on whether a starting pitcher is relying on his slider or his fastball, or if a bopper can come to the plate and hit a ball into the San Francisco Bay. I enjoy this sport at every level, and I have sweatshirts, ball caps, and memorabilia to prove it. 
I've sat through more than one season of t-ball where tiny players in the outfield were pretending to be gazelles or trying to figure out which hand the mitt belonged on. I've sat frustrated through little league games where parents yelled unwanted advice at their kids or at the volunteer officials. Sitting on a wooden bleacher watching a high school baseball game is as pleasing to me as attending a major league game at a historic stadium. I'm often asked about my fascination with the sport. Strangely, it is a story of obsession and of blindness. The women go blind in my family. I say that not to be dramatic, but to situate myself into a tradition. Beyond what appears to be a shared genetic ocular flaw, the matrilineal line of my family exhibits a freakishly devout fascination with Major League Baseball. And because in this era it is easier to watch a game on television than find one on the radio, once blind, they revert to the sound of the play-by-play and only imagine the faces and stances of the players on the screen. It began with my great-grandmother, Carrie Williams, who spent her last years from age 70 to 97 legally blind due to macular degeneration. She lived by herself until a few days before she died, and she was a devoted fan of the New York Yankees. Born in 1887, she would be 34 years old before the first radio broadcast of a baseball game aired in August of 1921. But she was raised in the small mining town of Custer, Idaho, and croquet and baseball were the two primary pastimes of the miners there. Once married, Carrie lived in this rugged sawtooth valley where radio signals were spotty at best, but she talked about how exciting it was to get news from the East regarding the successes or failures of the Yankees and their famous slugger, Babe Ruth. The stories that immortalized the Yankee greats, Ruth, Garrick, DiMaggio, Mantle, to name a few, inspired a reverent fascination in my great-grandmother that age and blindness could not stifle. Three days before she died, she fell and broke her hip. She made the ambulance drivers wait until a game she could hear but not see was over before she let them load her onto the stretcher for the final ride she would ever take. The Yankees beat the Kansas City Royals 4-3 in that game. My grandma Marie, Carrie's eldest daughter, held on to her vision a few years longer than her mother, but by the time she was in her late 70s, she could only make out shadows, and when she died at the age of 92, she was totally blind. Like her mother before her, as her vision went, she got books on tape from the Blind Federation, but those were saved for times when there were no baseball games being broadcast on radio or television. In the early stages of the disease, she was given a giant magnifying lens on a stand. It was the size of the television, and for several years she could make out shadowy images of play. Her favorite team was the Braves, and though they were in Atlanta when I watched the games with her, she likely favored them from the time she was a girl. She would have been 16 when Babe Ruth played his last major league game. He was wearing the uniform of the Boston Braves. As far back as my early childhood, my grandmother and my mom were in regular contact during the baseball season. Though they lived 200 miles apart and it cost money to make long-distance phone calls, games were discussed and replayed as the two of them second-guessed manager decisions, rooted for the underdog pitcher, complained about the arrogant players, and kept track of statistics and records as vigilantly as if they were team owners. These days, it's me, my mom, and her oldest sister Lois who call and text for daily updates and commentary on what we think each team is doing wrong or getting right. My mother is very different from her mother and her grandmother. She is devoutly religious and attends Mass as often as her schedule will allow. Though she jokes about it, I think it is mostly true that she roots for the Chicago Cubs, who were, until recently, one of the losingest teams in baseball because they needed her prayers and good wishes more than any other team. She became interested in baseball while working at a cafe when she was in high school, and customers would gather around the radio to hear the games that were on. It wasn't until the advent of cable television that she was finally able to watch teams that were not regularly broadcast on the major networks, and that's when her fascination for the Cubs really gathered steam. As rabidly as she cheered on the Cubs, she conversely hoped and prayed that the Yankees would lose. She thought George Steinbrenner was dishonest, and the arrogance and antics of his players and managers embarrassed and upset her. Baseball was an extension of her own moral code. An article published by Psychology Today explores the idea that sports may have some of the same effects on spectators as religion does. The authors speculate that the rituals and icons associated with specific sports teams mirror religious rituals and iconography. 
The article further suggests that sports can become a way for people to escape the tediousness of their lives beyond mere distraction, and that it can actually become a transcendent activity. And given what I know, I think there's something right about that. My mom is now legally blind from the disease that afflicted her mother and grandmother, but she sits and listens to games all summer, and I go and visit when I can to describe the throwback uniforms and the heated ejection of a manager defending one of his players. After leaving my childhood home, I rarely watch baseball other than playoff or World Series games unless I was visiting my grandmother or my mom. My team has always been the Cincinnati Reds. The Big Red Machine was at its most prominent when I was in my early teens, and their success and bravado captured my attention. But I had never really embraced my baseball legacy until one summer, when it became the only thing that could soothe me as I lay on the couch with chemotherapy drugs swirling in my body. I had never been one for watching much television, but one day when I was particularly sick, I asked my son to find something distracting to watch. He tuned into a game between the San Diego Padres and the Arizona Diamondbacks. I couldn't have known then how comforting watching games like that could be. When my mind spun with the overload of fears and anxieties that cancer brings, I would turn on a game and let it rest. Often I would lie for hours with my eyes closed, listening to the play-by-play, -play, and the voices of the announcers became part of the strange landscape that was my life at that time. I still do that sometimes. It is a practice that will help if I go blind. So yeah, I think baseball is great in ways that transcend the impressive athleticism of the sport, the competitive rivalries, and the overt capitalism that goes with it. It has been a tough year for baseball in our town. My alma mater, Boise State University, fielded its first team in 40 years on February 21st, 2020. The crowd was amazing, and for those of us who had been waiting for this moment for so long, it was a dream come true. NCAA baseball was back at Boise State. But after just 14 games and the arrival of a global pandemic, the team was cut due to, quote, ongoing financial concerns. It was a shock for fans, but completely devastating for the newly drafted players, three of whom I had in my classes on campus. Later in the year, the Boise Hawks, our short-season AAA team, formerly affiliated with the Chicago Cubs and the Colorado Rockies, was relegated to the Independent Pioneer League. Still, opening night this year saw a familiar family tradition continued as my son and daughter-in-law, some friends, and I attended the first game of the season. We drank warm beer and ate soft pretzels and hot dogs. The osprey fished the Boise River from their nests, perched atop the stadium lights, and a beautiful sunset over the foothills would give way to a giant waxing moon. I had my home run bell, and we had our hawks gear on. We watched a French fry tater top potato race and sang Take Me Out to the Ball Game. We heckled the other players, started a call in return of Go Hawks Go, and yelled can of corn at the lazy high fly balls. All around us were kids and older couples and friends and little league teams. I had not yet convinced my son that my super energetic granddaughter should have accompanied us, but he said we were getting close. A fifth generation of baseball fans would be quite something. And I'll bet that if you go to a hometown ball game, regardless of where you live, you'll feel the flow of it too. The no need to give a damn about any other thing. And someone might lean into you and say, isn't this the perfect way to spend an evening? And you might just say, yes, it is. And we're back. Thanks to Mike Prater, our guest. Uh, very enlightening discussion. Carrie, also the contributors this week, great standalone stories by them. Absolutely. If you want to join the fray yourself, we have a group on Facebook. It's the Story Forward Podcast group, and you can find the link. Uh, you can, you, heck, you can go to say Facebook and search it if you'd like, but you can also find the link in the show notes where you'll also find our social media and our website links. We have some people to thank, yes, don't we? we? Do. We want to thank Eavesdrop Studios and the Podcast Network and Brett Battistain. Once again, we got two bad stains in this, this episode. Good work. At ease-drop.com. Uh, you can find all things eavesdrop there. And want to thank Jared Bostrom. Did some uh, editing on this episode and many, actually all our episodes. He Without those two guys, this is not possible. No, we're just yeah. kind of talking to these microphones. And they, yeah. They make it actually sound good. It's a, we get yeah, the easy part. So I want to thank Mike, Carrie, and just yeah, all of y'all for listening. Yeah. And we're getting, you know, we're running up toward the end of summer. 
And though it may not seem so because it's still real hot outside, we are kind of easing into the end of this season. Uh, yes. Next up, we're going to talk about something I know is near and dear to a lot of people's hearts and especially my son's heart, mm-hmm. theme parks. Yes. It's going to be awesome. So come in uh, next time. Look for that episode to come pretty soon. Uh, how about in a week? Let's say a week. A week. Let's say it drops next week, just like we've been doing all season. It's a weekly podcast, yes. (laughs) So let's stick with that and do that. Uh, Until then, uh, we're going to get out of here. And don't you forget to uh, keep moving the story forward. Yes. March, proceed, advance the narrative.